We have way more in common than we think we do. And often as women, we compete for a place at the table when really there is room for each and every one of us. And this season on the Courage Cast, I've had some pretty incredible conversations and the depth of the influence that these women carry has been so incredibly empowering. I think probably to me and maybe even to you as well. And I hope that you have been so encouraged to take brave steps in your life and throughout your own journey. Now, this is going to be the last episode in this season, and we're going to be taking a summer break. And I'm really thrilled to be bringing you my next guest. This conversation is incredibly powerful. We need to hear, we need to digest, and then we need to take action, both as men and as women, learning to lead and to love and to empower those around us. And it's all about my favorite things, you know, women's empowerment, the Enneagram, courage, and also how to see diversity as a strength. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week, we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hey friends, welcome to The Courage Cast. I'm your host, Andrea Crisp, and you are going to love my guest today. She's a powerhouse, and I feel so deeply honored to have her and to be able to spend time chatting with her and really learning from her throughout this entire episode. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that you are going to have so many takeaways from our conversation. Danielle Strickland is currently based out of Toronto, Canada, and she has an aggressive compassion that has served people firsthand in countries all over the world, from establishing justice departments for the Salvation Army, to launching global anti-trafficking initiatives, to creating new movements to mobilize people towards transformational living. Danielle trains, advocates, and inspires people to live differently. Danielle is the author of five books, with her most recent being The Ultimate Exodus, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You, and The Zombie Gospel, The Walking Dead, and What It Means to Be Human. She's the host of DJ Strickland Podcast, co-founder of Infinitum, Amplify Peace, Brave Global, and Women's Speakers Collective. Danielle is a mom of three, wife to Stephen Court, and also affectionately called Ambassador of Fun. And let me tell you, that is definitely the truth. I am so excited for you to meet Danielle Strickland. Danielle, welcome to the Courage Cast. I am just really delighted to have you here today. And I just want to say thank you for agreeing to jump on a call and be on the podcast today. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on. Danielle, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend Women's Speakers Collective here in Toronto, and it absolutely blew my mind. I was so empowered when I left. I felt as though I had really just been given the tools to grow in my own giftings. And so I want to say thank you for that. But I also had an opportunity to listen to you teach and share from your heart and to really empower each of us to use our callings wisely. So I'd love for you to share a little bit with the listeners what it is that you do and what you're passionate about. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, uh, my name's Danielle Strickland. I am a teacher, writer, speaker, um, advocate, I say, social justice advocate. It kind of tries to encapsulate a bunch of uh, things that are near and dear to me. Um, 
So I'm a big, I follow Jesus. I think Jesus is a profoundly transformational leader. And so I try to live the way he lived uh, with his help. And uh, that means social justice stuff. So I spent a lot of years in inner cities doing church planting and then trying to stop sexual exploitation. So I've done tons of kind of global advocacy and set up uh, social justice departments for the Salvation Army and human trafficking campaigns. And uh, really probably the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the idea of helping people um, live their best lives and change, transform the future. You know, I'm, I'm what I think the apostle Paul in the Bible talks about a prisoner of hope. <laughs> and recently I've been really contemplating how much of a prisoner of hope I am. I just, I cannot unchange my, unchain myself from this idea that things can change and uh, we can help change them. Mm-hmm. When you say prisoner of hope and kind of, you know, you really feeling that, what does that mean to you specifically? Uh, what does it mean to me specifically? Like, so it's, it's weird. Cause there's a few areas like, uh, so human stopping human trafficking has been a big thing for me for many, many years and being part of that. And I think when you're in the middle of that sort of work, it's really hard. And actually it's really, you can become quickly cynical and pessimistic because the numbers are against you. Uh, and in many respects, the culture is against you. I mean, it's the fastest growing c- crime on the planet. So as fast as you can kind of try to inform people about it, it's growing exponentially more. Just kind of feel it, the feeling it gives you is like shoveling water <laughs> yeah. um, in the middle of a river, you know, and you just, I think um, the tendency of people and lots of people that I've journeyed with in, in this regard and in any kind of oppressive injustice sort of regard is uh, to allow cynicism to kind of take its toll and it gets weary and it gets hard and it gets difficult and uh, most people it's really difficult for them to stay in the game but i kind of constantly i have this um i have this idea that it is like shoveling water but i serve the god who parted the red sea so mm-hmm. there is a power greater than me that i get to partner with that it can do what seems like it can't be done i mean i think by definition that's what God does, right, are, are things that can't be done. And uh, so I guess that's when I'm picturing prisoner of hope, I'm picturing myself in the middle of a rushing river <laughs> with a staff, I guess, sort of mixing my metaphors and mm-hmm. uh, complete reliance on the God when it looks like it's not going to happen, just total reliance on the fact that I know God can make something happen where it looks like nothing can happen. So I'm going to stay there as you were saying that I was really imagining, you know, how difficult it would have been to really start that kind of work. And as you explained, you know, being somewhere where you're, you are not really reliant on your own power, really, but you're relying on what God can do. I'm really interested to hear, like, how did you get into this? What was kind of the catalyst for you to say, okay, this is really something that I'm passionate about and, and I want to work towards? Well, I became, you know, in a word, proximity, uh, which I think is always the way. So um, I got close up and personal with friends, like with people who were being exploited and uh, sold for sex. And so it became personal to me. Um, Mm. So I think the, and I think any injustice is like this when it, when there's proximity. So, you know, injustice from a distance is sort of just like a nice theory. And we can kind of cheer and, you know, 
but uh, injustice up close becomes really personal. And um, it, it uh, oh, wow, it demands attention. Like it demands your, your, um, your response up close too. So it's, it's, it's a harder, you know, it's a, it's a harder gig, but it's mm-hmm. a better one because proximity also creates some capacity for change. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like when you don't know something, you're like, you're not accountable for it. But as soon as you do know it, then it's all of a sudden you're like, okay, like if I walk away from this, yeah. if I don't do something, if I just kind of bury my head in the sand and pretend that I never saw it or I don't know, yeah. That's then right. there's, you know, something, yeah. Um, and there's kind of two areas of that, just for the record, like one is, you know, the matrix classic line, which is says, you know, ignorance is bliss. Um, which is a celebration because then we don't have to be responsible. So there is this kind of, but there's also, I think more accurately in our culture, there's what I would call a willful blindness, which is a book written by Margaret um, Heffernan, which I highly recommend to everybody, but it's part neurology, how our brains are wired to believe the truths we want to be true instead of what actually is happening. And then also partly how we contribute to injustice in the world by choosing not to see it. So um, there's kind of these two, I feel like this ignorance is bliss. We all agree with because we feel the weight of responsibility. It makes us feel guilty. But actually also this willful, but that there's a willfulness in it that we participate in choosing not to see. And that kind of erodes our our sense of self and um, the possibilities of <clears throat> changing anything at all. So uh, w- one of my favorite things to say is choosing not to see injustice is one of the first ways we contribute to it. Mm, um, that's so, yeah, I think those sort of things. So I guess not wanting to live that way and not wanting ignorance and not thinking that's blissful, actually, to pretend like the world's something that it's not, but to really be actively part of changing it. I guess that's part of my my desire. Mm hmm. Out of curiosity, you've taken the Enneagram, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> are, what number are you on the Enneagram? I'm a 7-8. Okay, so that's really interesting yeah. to me because, you know, how you're saying this, the 7 likes adventure and fun. Yeah. And how does this all kind of work <laughs> for a 7? Yeah, well, I guess that's what's an interesting, and I guess that's why linking to the prisoner of hope idea that, like, I'm going to go all for the adventure of, mm-hmm. like, I mean, justice is an adventure, if there's any other, you know, that's like an adventure of adventures, isn't it? It's kind of pursuing justice in difficult places. But um, the hopefulness is what I need to keep it, um, to keep it exciting, I suppose, and to keep it, to keep momentum, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So instead of maybe like maybe my um, first thought would have been, OK, like the seven doesn't like to feel pain or kind of go there. They try to avoid it. But for you, it's more of a it actually helps you to keep the momentum driving it forward and keeping well, you in it. Is that- yeah. Well, in my life, I mean, if it's going to go inward. So I didn't even know I had feelings until probably about. I don't know, seven years ago. So, okay. <laughs> um, so I think activist, like activism is a great way of working out feelings without having to work out your feelings. If you mm-hmm. know what I mean, it's not always a healthy way, but so I think a lot of my early sort of jump in activist, uh, you know, realities were all seven. Like I could do that without, you know, I could say a little prayer and shake it all off 
um, every day mm -hmm. uh, without really, you know, having to deal with the inner depths of what was stirred up. And have you been able to continue to do that? Or is it something that kind of is an ebb and flow for you feeling it? Yeah, I, it is ebb and flow, but I do, I don't think that's a healthy way to go. So if you're an activist and you're listening, I think probably paying attention to what's going on inside of you is a really good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like getting someone to help you process that's probably also a very good idea. So I think for me in my life, a lot of those, like I, in a lot of my learning is done in hindsight. So, you know, it's like when I've gone too far, then I'm like, oh, that's too far. And then I make an adjustment, you know, uh, or when I don't go far enough, I'm like, oh, I didn't go far enough. So a lot of my life lessons are done sort of in hindsight, trying to learn from how I did it wrong. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, and so I would say, like, I always advise people, like, talk to someone, like, go see a counselor, whether you feel like you need it or not, just to offload uh, you know, what you've been hearing and the kind of uh, trauma that you've been witnessing and a part of and experiencing on a regular basis. So I think much like a counselor, like if you're a counselor, you're a really good counselor, you're regularly seeing somebody um, just to offload some of the themes that are coming up in you as you're counseling other people. I think the same is true when people are working on, you know, grassroots frontline, um, you know, sort of really traumatized people. I think uh, they should be keeping short um, you know, not lot, not waiting like for years mm -hmm. and years before you actually offload some of that. Absolutely. I know for myself, when I was pastoring, that was really helpful to me was to be able to have someone else on the team that I would go and just kind of debrief and download and yeah. kind of get things off my chest. And now as a coach, it's similar because, you know, I'm hearing and listening yeah. and, and I can't carry that all day long. So, yeah. you know, trying to find a way of being able to, and I'm a one, so my natural tendency is to fix. Yeah. And so I have to, I have to realize that when I'm listening to someone or I'm trying to do something or, um, helping some sort of a cause in any way that I can't actually fix it. Yeah. I, I can be part of the solution and use my abilities, you know, in that way, but not as like, okay, I'm going to go in there and it's going to get fixed and it's going to be done. We're going to like sign, seal, deliver this. And it's going to be completely, you know, so that's, a, I find that really interesting because I don't know that we really look all that time, all the time at advocacy in how we can do advocacy uniquely. Yeah. And also like, I think when you're talking about the subject of courage, I was thinking about this the other day, like um, what is a courageous act look like for you? And that's mm -hmm. going to be way different than what it looks like for me. So a courageous act for you might be letting go of what you can't fix. That's like, that's going to require all the courage that you have is to like, let people deal with it themselves. Right. Absolutely. And for me, I mean, I can storm a brothel without even blinking, but my most courageous act is going to be identifying what's going on on the inside of me and dealing with that. So it's an interesting thing because I think sometimes culturally we say this is what courage looks like. And I actually think courage looks different for every person in terms of what's facing you right now. And what actually are the things that are the hardest, you know, the most difficult, perilous journey for you? Um, that's what requires courage. So for me, probably the journey inward is a place where courage is much more needed than the journey outward. Um, mm -hmm. and then for other people, it's going to be the reverse. 
you said something that really made me um, really think when I was at the Women Speakers Collective and it was talking about how you have always been able to identify and help the marginalized but anybody who is maybe wealthy is harder for you yeah can you you know speak to that a little bit like how how has that shifted in your life or how are you walking that out yeah i mean i think this is a general like this is a challenge for me all the time because i I think we're talking about jesus ability to kind of transcend um culture and um economics and status and i mean he you know, it, and he's so good at this, like just seeing through the various disguises that we we take on. And I think for me, I mean, I grew up my both my parents were rescued as orphans by the Salvation Army. So my mom was a foster kid and my dad was sort of sold as a baby. It's this long, crazy story from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And they were, you know, they're the under they're the underdogs, literally. And I, I describe it this way. You know, most Canadians have a hockey team they root for that they're fans of. And when I would come home for hockey night in Canada, I would say, who are we cheering for? And my dad would tell me who the underdog was, you know? So my identity, even as a kid, was that we're for the underdogs, right? Like we're on their side, whoever they might be, uh, wherever they might be playing in the world. And then they were rescued by the Salvation Army and then they served through the Salvation Army and then so did I. So I feel like this deep sort of Salvation Army, we're with the underdog, like we're with those people from the margins, like there are people um, that's kind of deeply embedded in me. Um, and to buy into this idea that that people are either more worthy or unworthy or or, um, you know, to buy into sort of social constructs uh, that divide people. So I would have spent a lot of my early years of ministry kind of in an us and them framework, us being me and the marginalized. <laughs> and kind of them being, you know, the haves and whoever that is, the institutions or people or whatever. And I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a false dichotomy. I mean, it's a, it's a construct the world's made that's not actually true. Ultimately, at the heart of everybody is a, is a, is the sacred, beautiful thing called human. And mm-hmm. all of the things we put around, whether it be addiction or whether it be, you know, uh, money. Um, it's all it's all a construct really that just is in the way of us discovering our humanity mm-hmm. so i think that discovery happened a little later than maybe it could have um for me but i basically again proximity i met some folks who are from other you know wealthier sort of districts and i was privileged enough to get to know them as humans and felt their pain and saw their struggle and uh, realized that all of our disguises are exactly that they're just constructs to keep us hidden and um i realized that we're not there is no us and them you know there's there's all of us together it was a beautiful it's a beautiful uh realization actually it's very liberating you know as you're saying that like i'm just imagining we just you know went through this weekend where the raptors won the nba championship and of course i went down to jurassic park and there's like thousands of people the the night they won the streets just filled up so quickly with um, faces, young and old, every nationality, cheering. Um, there were kids out, there were adults, there were dogs, there you were, you name it, everyone was out. And one of the things that really kind of struck me, you know, as, as the weekends kind of progressed and we, we came into the parade was that such a unifying 
um, event, bringing everyone together, and it, it really equalized everyone. And it, it didn't matter where you were from or who you were or what you believed or uh, anything. We all were the same. We were all on the same team. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of an interesting thing for me to, to really see, you know, we can so quickly put people um, in a category and yeah. say, you belong here and you belong here. And, and I don't know that these two should mix or maybe these two should stay this way, but there's something so beautiful about what you just said. And, and it just made me realize and think about how, you know, in humanity, we are all the same, but we have, you know, grown up in society with, you know, depending on where we grew up, I suppose, but um, with different views on each other. We perpetuate those views, right? By staying segregated or whatever the case may be. So whatever issue, you know, whatever it is, whatever issue it is, whether it's religious backgrounds, uh, we separate from each other, whether it's just, you know, racial colors, uh, we separate from each other, gender, we separate from each other, sort of the more we buy into this construct of us and them, and we keep separate from each other, the actual answer to all of that stuff is proximity, right? The more we're together, the more we realize, oh, we have more in common than we thought. Um, so things like sport um, get us there, right? Like the Raptors is a, a thing that gets us outside of our own selves so that we can go, oh, look at us all together like this with, with uh, things in common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll, ultimately, Jesus should be that, you know, uh, and the early church was that. I mean, it was was offensive. It was so uh, together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and really the kingdom, you know, so this kingdom of God, this wherever this place where Jesus is leading us, he should always be leading us there, right, to proximity. Which um, mm -hmm. is kind of neat. Okay, guys, we're just taking a quick break in the conversation. It is already so incredibly powerful. I know that I am learning so much from Danielle and our conversation. And I want to encourage you just to lean in and get everything you can from this incredible teacher, this incredible advocate. Because I think as we all are working in our own giftings. Sometimes it's hard to see beyond what we're doing, but when we can really lean into what other people are doing, it just encourages us and puts a fire underneath us to actually move forward in ways that we could never imagine. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we are gonna be taking a summer break, but I want to just let you know that I'm going to be still posting on Instagram, I'm still gonna be around, and I want to continue to connect with you over there. So make sure you follow me at at the dot courage cast. And also for those of you who've really been considering how to move your life forward and you feel as though the time is now for you to really get that momentum you need to make decisions that will actually help you to implement those dreams, those goals, those desires that you have. I want to encourage you to sign up for a 30 minute strategy session with me. I have several coaching packages that I think will really help you to get the momentum you need to move forward. And I have time this month because I am not going to be podcasting to have some new clients. So I'd love to have a chat with you and to really hear what your dreams are and what you're really wanting to work towards. So in order to do that, just make sure you go over to my website, which is andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. And then you can just click on the button there, schedule a 30 minute time slot with me. We will chat and talk all about what is on your heart and how you can begin to move forward in your own life. Okay. Now back to our conversation with Danielle. 
I've been interested to hear your perspective. You know, I know that you, you know, are very much in line with empowering women. You know, you've started several different organizations that do this, which Brave Global and also Women Speakers Collective, you've co-founded. I really would like to hear your opinion or maybe even your thoughts on men and women working yeah. together and how that works. You know, coming personally from uh, leaving the full-time ministry, I really felt myself, it was very difficult for me. I had a lot of men in my life who I really respected and I, th I thought were for me, but I also had a lot of times where I felt like I was very much there or against. So I want to hear how, how can we reconcile that men and women in leadership and kind of working together to empower women? Yeah. Uh, well, I just wrote a whole book on this, so this could take a while. <laughs> uh, it definitely is a problem. And I think that fear does not help. Um, well, I think fear is the currency of oppression. All oppression is the currency of it. How it works is through fear. So whether or not you're oppressed or the oppressor. So this was the thing I took out of a book I wrote on the Exodus, where the first chapter of the Exodus talks about the Israelites being enslaved by Pharaoh. And it says that because Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites, he oppressed them. And that's when I realized that if you're, if fear is the dominant way you're making your decision, you will either be oppressed or you will be an oppressor. Um, either way, if fear is the dominant. So when we think about really exclusion-based practices or segregated practices with gender, uh, fear is usually the motivator and the dominant factor involved in the decisions. And so I'm always like, identify the fear because it's usually fear of the other, right? So, and there's all these weird old uh, Christian practices that kind of promote exclusion and segregation, but on the basis of healthy spirituality, which then makes it even more confusing. But ultimately, no matter how it's defined, I always say if fear is the motivator, it's wrong. It's not God. So that's that itself is just a helpful, you know, when it comes to the practices. So if there are no women on your board and you can't find one um, or you don't even want to find one or you don't want to change a system in your church, this is just church or boardroom or wherever it is. And the reason why you don't want to find one is because you're afraid, then you're going to know that that's just fueling oppression, right? It, and identifying what the fear is will be helpful to then determining how to break the fear rather than let the fear uh, control you further. Um, so I think identifying fear is probably a really big one. And where the fear actually is, is a really uh, big one. I think power is really important to pay attention to. And uh, like I said, I wrote a whole book on this, so I could go on and on and on. But mm -hmm. Uh, what we think about power, how we use power and um, is, you know, when it comes to gender and by the way, you know, sexism and racism are at the same, uh, you know, are the ground intersection of prejudice, right? So they're always most acute together, as a matter of fact, and in history, you'll find wherever there is sort of a, an ongoing um, reality of one, like racism, you'll see sexism right there too. Like, they're the same prejudice. Um, and it's really just a fear of the other uh, is what all prejudice is rooted in fear of the other, which is what makes it such a terrible oppression. Mm -hmm. So I would say identify your fear. And then I would say like a corrective brace, like once you identify what's wrong, 
so this isn't hard to do. I mean, there's more CEOs named John than there are female CEOs in North America. <laughs> really? Yeah. So like there's a problem. It's not just like a church problem, although in the church we heighten and make it worse because we spiritualize our oppression, which is really, really toxic and has only ever led to terrible things in the world. So we'd be really, really good to pay attention to where we use fear as a tool for religious uh, practices, because that's not God. Um, so that's going to be super helpful. But power, I think, is a real other and sort of views on power. So I've really been fascinated by this because it's actually social media. So that kind of has changed the game on how power is used in this in this uh, generation. And it's not until social media changed the game on how power is used that women's voices actually kind of overflowed to the point where they couldn't be stuffed back in or ignored or pushed to the margins. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the Me Too movement, for example, I mean, it just spilled the beans, didn't it? It was like, it's not like it wasn't there before and that now all of a sudden we're dealing with sexual um, harassment. It's like sexual harassment was everywhere. Just women had no power. But um, all of a sudden social media, the internet changed the power dynamics. So you didn't need to have a position or any qualifications for that matter, you just had to have a social media handle to tell the truth in an open form. And as soon as that happened, it kind of changed the game, right? So if power, I think power is influence, not control, like true power. Mm -hmm. And so if power is influence and the internet changed everything, but what influence is, how influence happens, who's the influencers. And you see on social media, you see women beginning to actually use power like they didn't have because they were shut out of power systems. So I think this is a fascinating season. It's not it's time. I think it's time in a kingdom sense, like it's over time. It's past time. There's like half the world is kind of still suffering. Uh, meanwhile, we need all kinds of big changes, sweeping changes to happen uh, towards justice and freedom and equality and hope for everybody. So we need kind of all hands on deck. So I feel like it's even bigger than just empowerment for women. It's, 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 uh, it's a restored future for everybody, for our children, for generations to undo oppressions of, you know, uh, economic injustices and all around the globe, racial ones, but we're going to need everybody to help. So women's empowerment is kind of central to the conversation. Um, and those are just a few tippets, but I think much like once you realize, so you know that once you realize women are not uh, living equity, which is not just empowerment, it's not just equal rights, it's the opportunity to use those rights. So there's this big difference in North America, oftentimes people will dismiss this conversation because they'll say, well, women already are equal. Uh, but the difference between equal rights and equal opportunity is the difference between the value, how valued equality really is. Mm -hmm. So you can have equal rights, but if you don't have any opportunity to use them, you can't get in a boardroom, you've got a degree. So more women are more educated than ever before in history. Uh, and yet not a lot of those top echelons of power dynamics have shifted. That becomes less about women and more about systems, structures and men and really challenging those to change. And without a specific correction, they will not change. So I liken this to like a kid that's born with a, a foot that's pointed in the wrong direction. And the doctors say, okay, right, we gotta get this, we gotta get on this early or this child won't be able to walk properly for the rest of its life. So what they do is they develop a corrective brace for the foot and the corrective brace helps the foot turn in the right direction. And then they keep 
tightening that, tightening that until the foot can actually be straight again. And I would say that we need to do something very similar with our systems and structures uh, and power bases that are not uh, equitable. We need to correct them. Uh, and it won't, you know, we can wish that we walk properly. We can lament that our, you know, we're not walking properly. We can, you know, on and on, we can feel shame and guilt and pity and all sorts of things, but without corrective measures to fix the direction of our foot, we'll never really walk the way that we were intended to. Mm -hmm. um, and that would, that would mean that both men and women come together and do that. Absolutely. Because how else will we do that? Mm -hmm. You know, so we have to challenge segregated practices, which is where women stick to women and men stick to men. Uh, we have to develop some proximity. We have to create like we have to challenge old fashioned ideas of mentorship, which are, is just one on one models uh, that are same sex. Mm -hmm. I think we need to move to team anyway, just for good leadership. Um, we need to create intentional board positions and leadership capacity for women uh, to for them to gain the experience necessary for them to move further um, into structural systemic change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many things to do actually, but definitely the first thing to do is identify the problem and then get intentional about correcting it. Now, I know I had an opportunity when I was pastoring to have interns Yeah. and all of my interns were male. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now it's interesting because you know, those interns have, you know, become pastors and so on and so forth. And, um, and, and it was really, I remember thinking to myself at the time, like, why did you choose here? Why did you choose this church when you knew you'd be working with me? Yeah. Versus going to any of the other churches and choosing any of the other male pastors that they could have worked with. Mm. And, and now seeing kind of what they're doing and it's so beautiful, you know, to see hindsight now, where they are in their own ministries and what they're doing and how we were able to kind of work together and 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 have that which i i absolutely loved and i've had um pastors in my life male pastors who have been probably some of the most pivotal people in my life and and i think those are those relationships as you said um really caused me to shift who I believed I was, what I thought the world was like, what I thought church was like or ministry was like, really kind of flipped it on its head. And it gave me the ability to see. And I don't know that we always get an opportunity for that. So so there's, say this young woman who's listening to this because there's mostly women, although there are a few men who do listen to this, but say a young woman is thinking, okay, how do I become proactive for myself in this? How do I engage in this either conversation or an action? Um, I would say that one, I think you need to tap into um, your gifts and skills and callings. So, and, and do the work required to really hone those as much as you can. So I think that's, that's number one is like kind of know who you are. So you're not trying to fit someone else's expectations and you're not trying to fit into whoever uh, that this dominance, or you're not trying to be something you're not, that, that's going to be key for your own personal freedom. And then I would say, based on your gifts, your skills, your callings, I would find the people that most embody what it is you'd like to become, whether they're male or female, I don't think that matters. I, I think that's a, you know, that's one difference, but it's only one difference in many differences. So I say this a lot to uh, women and men, like I'm like if we use an Enneagram, I probably have more in common with an Enneagram seven man 
than I do with you mm-hmm. as a one woman, right? I mean, yeah. if we're going to talk about the way that we discover things and talk about things and all kinds of stuff, it's not like we all don't figure. But one of the things the Enneagram culture, I think, is teaching us is that diversity strength and not not uh, we don't have to be afraid of it. We can actually use it. Well, when you know who you are, you're not defined by some other number. I don't mean that, but you know the way you're wired. You know how you are. You know what you work. And then you can work together with all kinds of people who are different than you to actually get that thing accomplished. So I would say, look for the people around you that are open, that would be a champion. So uh, Cheryl Sandberg does a thing called Lean In, and she's done a lot of research with a, a McKinsey Global Report. It's called on Gender Equity. And she says that really to break some of those ceilings, those glass ceilings, or those real sort of men-only zones, you need a man. Uh, you know, you need a male champion to break you into those areas. So if you're feeling like you've got this gift and you really, really want to hone it, but you can't get in there to do so, then look for a male and ask him to help you. That's Mm. not a bad strategy. Um, But I would also just say, keep your eye on mentors of people who you want to be like, people that have sort of similar gifts that you, that you want to actually do what they do. Um, pay attention. And I mean, it might not be a formal mentorship, but you could get their stuff. You could read their books. You could, um, you know what I mean? Like you could possibly exchange a couple emails at the very least and just try to learn how those things are done in different contexts. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I also think we cannot, uh, we cannot afford to compete with each other. So I think there is this weird cultural phenomenon of the sense of competition with women and uh, all the research suggests that women feel it internally because we're we're scared to be too good because we'll alienate ourselves from the rest of the pack is how it works with sort of like that crab in the bucket kind of a syndrome that happens to women a lot. Uh, and women, uh, all the research says, are actually much more uh, likely to collaborate and consider that a win. So women don't really consider individual success the success. They consider the collective success the success, which actually means that if you are a man listening to this, you should hire more women (laughs) because it's such a better way to do everything, isn't it? That we we don't consider this a success unless everybody's succeeding together. It's a collaborative Mm -hmm. approach to leadership. Women are more inclined to be this uh, wired this way. Um, and which is great, but what it means is that we need each other to help spur one another on and encourage each other, like legitimately, not just in pretense, um, but to really help one another and cheer one another and celebrate one another. We need a collaborative uh, spirit when it comes to uh, women succeeding. Now, how do you do that? Like for yourself, like what does that look like in your life? Um, well, I mean, this women speaker collective has been amazing this way because, um, you know, I've, so basically I saw a whole lack of women on stages, main, main stages and wondered why and asked around. And so I've had these incredible uh, mentors in my life, both female and male. Um, like Alan Hirsch is one of them. He, I I think I said to the collective, like he weeps almost every time uh, he Mm -hmm. talks about this issue, women in general and equity, but the Women's Speaker Collective, he's over the moon. Um, he's not only like written into, like I just said, here's what we're gonna do. What do you think? He's just like, how do I serve? <laughs> yeah. How do I help? And so him and Reggie Joyner and uh, Eugene Cho just met me at a conference the other day, said, how do I help? How do I serve? Like, this is a now thing. 
um, Bob Goff, which pretty much Bob Goff just sat me down and gave me the whole entire, you know, here, do this, try this. What else can I do to help you? So like, there's been so many guys that feel like this is a key issue for them to be better, um, that have been mentoring, supporting, cheering, uh, helping. Um, and then I think in terms of women, like also again, like tons of, now this is harder for women, by the way, especially in the work that I do. Because I was telling a lot of the guys when they were saying, you know, what do you mean, where are the women? Like, you're here. And I said, yeah, I know, but look in this green room. There's like 12 guys and you're all collaborating together on projects and you're sharing ideas and what you've done before and what you're doing now. And I said, and there's only me, which means I can collaborate with you guys, but I can never collaborate with Joe Saxon. And I can never collaborate with Christine Kane. And I can never collaborate with name the other woman speaker because you only have one of us here a year. <laughs> mm. So we never get together and we can never find time. We can never because we're always busy on this like only circuit. I call it the only one. Mm. So I just reached out and contacted Joe Saxon's been amazing. I sent her a list of 12 questions I needed to know about, uh, you know, itinerant speaking and global things and management things and how she did things and she answered candidly and we've spoken a few times by phone we still haven't connected in person for many years but um we try to cheer one another on we endorse each other's things uh christine kane i think she just retweeted uh, women speaker collective and uh just asked me to write an article and propel um just trying to create some sort of a collaborative we're for each other with each other love what we're doing uh, celebratory spirit among uh, women. That's beautiful. I think you just got to fight for it. You really do. And it won't, I think the thing that I've taught is I thought it would just kind of happen naturally, but I think because of the nature of oppression and segregation and a lack of proximity with each other, we, it won't happen naturally. We don't have the luxury of that. So we're going to have to do it intentionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when I was nine, I had a babysitter who was 14. She was, her name was Rosanna. And she um, babysat us for summer, several summers in a row. And she became my very first mentor. Now she grew up on a pig farm and I was a city kid. And so I learned a lot from her. Um, we did cooking shows and the Olympics in the backyard, all, everything. She was also the person who brought me to youth group and drove me to camp my first year, took me out of school to go um, out camping for the weekend when I was in seventh grade. Like this, this was a true mentorship when I didn't realize it was a mentorship. And I have been fortunate my whole entire life to be surrounded by women like Rosanna and who've come alongside of me and, and taken me under their wing or they've taught me things. And so for me, it has felt very natural. It has felt like, oh, isn't this the way it's supposed to be? I always seem to gravitate towards women who are willing to give and be generous with, with what they have and kind of say, this is what I've learned. I hope this helps you. <laughs> and But I noticed that not all women feel that way. So when I'm in conversations and I'm a natural encourager, um, I find I'm like, Oh, it's not reciprocated. Like this is, right. I'm surprised. Like why, you know, I'm surprised you're not, you know, you don't have my back because I have yours. And it's, I think it's something that's become a passion of mine to, you know, instead of 
because I, I, I bump up against it a lot. And instead of thinking, okay, well, forget this, you know, I'm just going to go out on my own. It's like, I, it, it's unrelenting in me mm. that I'm going to continue to do it. Yeah, great. I'm going to continue to knock on those doors and say, hey, girls, hey, ladies, like, you know, and I'm not one of the, which is really surprising that I, that I'm like this because I would not naturally be like the women's ministry kind of girl would not be my game. Right. But I feel such a passion uh, just kind of going back even to what you said earlier about empowering people to do what they need to do to step into their purpose, their divine purpose. Because as you said, all hands on deck, you know, and if we're not all doing something and it doesn't have to be the same thing and it, and it shouldn't be the same thing because then things wouldn't be getting done that need to get done and people's lives wouldn't be changed that need to be changed because we're filling the role that we need to actually fill and yeah. do and be. Yeah. And, um, so I, I love that you're, you've established this, like, you know, just even attending, you could, you could tell at the women's speakers collective in Toronto, there was just such, um, I don't know, just, there's an energy about it that felt so inclusive. Yeah. Good. That's and, cool. And it just, it felt so inspiring and encouraging for, for women. And, and I know, like, I'm wondering, you know, maybe what the difference is, you know, being in, in Canada, because I did live in the U.S. for 14 years. Um, and so I, I understand the American culture, but maybe from your perspective, what do you see as maybe the difference even for us in Canada, for women in Canada? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I've, I've found that um, all of the bootcamp, we've only done three. So that's our third one. So it's a baby, the Women's Speaker Collective. And when it comes to speaking, I'm not really a fan of segregating events. So normally I would not have a women's only uh, thing. But I just find that we're at such a deficit when it comes to opportunities uh, to speak on platforms that we actually have to make up the deficit by doing women only. So uh, that's why I'm, I'm doing that. So hopefully it won't be forever, but it is for now in terms of making up the deficit in terms of where do you send a woman speaker for training and mentorship and uh, collaboration and network. You know, it's 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 not out there. That's why we have it. Um, so, um, I found a couple of things and maybe in Canada, one area was more pronounced than in the States, but I found myself surprised by the, uh, depth of talent in the room to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and which is my own shame, but because I've been one of those only women speakers, I don't get to hear women speak very often. So just hearing even what small things that were prepared. So they're only five minute presentations as you remember, but. Um, just the depth of talent, like how naturally gifted and very gifted women communicators are all around the planet. I mean, it's shocking to me that this is a problem because it's not a problem with talent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you kind of wonder, right? You wonder like, well, maybe they're just not that good. And then I'm like, no, nope, they're all like, they're good. <laughs> like there's a lot of really good speakers in the room. And then I think in Canada specifically, I think there's this kind of like deep hum of insecurity uh, and this is, I mean, all the research suggests that a woman's self-confidence peaks at nine. Um, and there is this general sort of hum in the background of her life that's like, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think I could feel that a little bit uh, more in Canada, which actually just might be a little bit more Canadian that we're apologetic when we're good. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like we feel bad about it. You know, like we shouldn't be. There's this like kind of tall poppy syndrome, whatever that is in Canada, that's like, 
you have to go to the states to be celebrated for greatness is is sort of how is how it works in almost every profession right yeah uh and in canada when you're around and you're good at something you kind of have to apologize for it a lot um so i feel like uh in and in women you sort of double that oppression so you're not only like canadian and you're apologetic about being good about something because maybe it'll make you stand out and you feel like you think too highly of yourself or something but also you're female. So you're maybe the only one in your context, or like I said earlier, the way women are made, we think that the better we are, the more distance we feel from those that we're part of. So um, I felt that, I felt an apologetic sort of like, I'm not good enough insecurity. That's like a hum. Mm -hmm. And I think the, I think this is uh, for every woman probably can relate to this and feels this. But um, I think this is something to really pay attention to in your life that that hum is there because culture is designed it that way and everything's designed to send those messages to you. So I think identifying what that hum is and what the regular things are that you're telling yourself all the time. So like the first day of the collective, we talked about true humility and true dependency. So really coming to that place where you really know who you are and you agree with God about how he's made you. And then just fighting back that hum, like replacing that music with another kind of music. And this is where I don't think we could ever go wrong with too much affirmation. Um, like, I really don't think we can go wrong with this. Everywhere people live oppressed. So whatever form of oppression it is, there'll be a major lack of affirmation even among, among themselves. And it's rooted in sort of this, like, I'm not good enough, unworthy sort of a, that oppressions knit this like chorus together inside of you. So you have to really unknit it. You have to undo it. You have to pull on the thread and let it unravel. And I think one of the great ways, the two tools probably I've done the best in terms of this result of getting more and more secure is affirmation, which is not just self-affirmation, but also affirmation of others so that you're not constantly pointing out flaws or insecurities or but you're pointing to uh, good, positive, great strengths. And then I would think gratitude, uh, cultivating a spirit of gratitude will fight off insecurity in your life. It really will, because you'll be operating, even if it's a framework, a mind mindset, you'll be operating out of a fullness framework instead of a scarcity one. So mm -hmm. instead of the, I'm not enough, it's like, whoa, I've got all this to give. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd suggest probably to those affirmation and um, this constant gratitude, just this posture of gratitude, gratitude, gratitude for the gifts you've been given, for the opportunities you do have, for the moments uh, that you're in right now, for the discovery of, of who you are um, and whose you are. And they're all good tools. Now, I'm going to have to call myself out here because people who listen do know that this happened. So they're, they're not going to be surprised by this. But um, when I went up to give my five-minute talk, I was fully prepared. I was right ready to, to speak I had it memorized and everything but the moment before I got up I had hesitation and I had all of a sudden I had oh I don't think I'm relevant to this mm. and I immediately walked up there and, and I can I can actually visualize it still to this moment but um, I walked up there and I said hi my name is Andrea and I just have a little personal story to share with you mm. and you called me out you told me the words Justin Little that to describe what I do is something that I should never do. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking at the time, like, whoa, like, oh my gosh, yes. 
but also feeling like, oh, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> I can't believe I have literally, like, what felt like just, you know, sh shown all my cards mm. to the room. That's kind of how I felt. Yeah. And, and it was by one simple sentence that, and after thinking about it, after the next week, it was really um, eye-opening for me specifically because I realized that even though I have been working on this and doing this mindset stuff, that it was there. And when I had the opportunity, it came to the surface subconsciously mm -hmm. and just came out. And I didn't mean it to, I didn't yeah. want it to, but it did. And I think one of the biggest gifts that I received out of it was being called out for it mm. and to be and I felt like okay it was safe to be like Andrea don't say that about yourself mm. that's something that and and I will I, I can guarantee you mm. that I will never say that again <laughs> right like well, that's I good will, that you felt safe because that's in many respects that's what the boot camp's about is to create a safe place with other women where we can actually practice together yeah. that's affirming and real. Like, I'm not mm. just gonna, I'm not just gonna be like, you're amazing when there's stuff to learn. Like, we're going to be like, you're amazing. And there's things to learn, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of this like, but, but the problem is, is that many women have not been in safe places. And so intuitively the defense is up. The I'm not enough is raging out of control. And especially to present to other women, which I think is also fascinating is like a barrier instead of actually an invitation. So I think the fact we just have to fight against it. I think uh, one thing at a time. And I love this idea that, you know, one sentence exposes this thing that's in all of us. I mean, as we're giving you that feedback, we're all going, oh yeah, like how often mm -hmm. do I do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and we're learning together. And I think that's, you know, learning together is a good idea. So even if you do have other women in your life, I'd say one, safe, be safe for them. And by that, I mean, get each other's back and really mean what you say and be honest and truthful and affirming. Those things can go together. Um, the truth doesn't have to hurt every time it's told. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least every time God tells me truth, he does it with a whole lot of grace. And I don't feel like it hurts me. I feel like it helps me and heals me. Mm -hmm. So we could tell the truth to each other like that and uh, take the opportunity to do so. And then I think once you like, like once you have that revelation, you're like, yeah. And like you said, I get it now. Like, I'm not going to do that again. And, mm -hmm. and that's that that's done, but you're going to hear it a lot more now that you have that revelation. You're going to hear it in other people a lot more too. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard it even in, you know, different contexts in myself in the past, since the speakers collective, mm. I've heard my, even in my mind, it, it alerts me when mm. it's happening. That's fantastic. Whereas before maybe it was a subconscious thing that was happening. I wasn't alerted to it. Yeah. And now I am alerted to it and I'm like, okay, this is, and I felt it so true for me. I felt it so true for everyone, you know, in the fact that, you know, here we are apologizing before we even get up and do something yeah exactly. and which we don't need to right. and I realized that um, and, and it was something that it was like okay now take that part out of me and and it just really felt like such a freeing thing Great. for me which oh, that's was wonderful so awesome like I, I really really appreciate it and then I appreciated that that night I got to go throw axes 
So <laughs> I, I was like, we're good here. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, right in, yeah. Yeah. Right into the bullseye, which was, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, Danielle, like one of the questions that I usually ask people right towards the end is what is the next brave step that you are going to take in your life? Maybe what's something that you've been doing or working on that, that you're well, going to be doing? you know, I've been doing, um, a lot of work with Amplify Peace and um, it's uh, empowering. Well, it's empower it's helping mobilize people to be peacemakers in the world. And, uh, you know, we've been asked to go to some countries that are kind of, you would not picture these countries as uh, empowering places. They'd be the opposite of that and lead some leadership uh, gatherings for women for empowerment's sake, invited by presidents of closed countries. I mean, it's crazy. So I think for me, a couple things. One is I don't want to be the woman's empowerment person. So uh, it's a brave thing for me just internally to just agree with what God's asking me to do right now and not attach whatever my own stuff is on top of that. So that's its own brave. It's just to let go and let God lead. Uh, that's my own brave step I try to take every day. And then two is actually to to make time and energy and to create the capacity for those things to happen well and to matter. So that's probably, those are my brave things. And I'd say my other really brave thing is I've, uh, I do this way of life called infinitum and, uh, it's just a practice of spiritual rhythms that keep everybody, I think, uh, helping keep people with Jesus centered in their lives. And regardless of what they do with their life, keeping Jesus central to it will help them live the, the best one. And uh, so I've created this uh, rhythm, this community, this global, um, I call it an open order. And, um, and so we're just coming up with some resources, some more resources to help spread that with some partner churches. So that's kind of, I'd say that every single thing I do actually comes out of that one thing uh, where mm. I accidentally got involved in justice because I was keeping Jesus central to my life. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and doing what he asked me to do and the same is true of all these other things I do so infinitum is really probably the bravest thing I'm doing I'm doing a bit of a reset on sort of how many times I speak and what I'm speaking about and really just trying to get deeper into the practice of a boundless salvation of living out this beautiful faith and inviting others to do the same so I've got a leadership a two-day leadership gathering the first one where um, some folks are coming from around the world to talk about uh, infinitum and how to live an infinitum life uh, in Toronto at the end of September. So if anyone's interested, it's the first of its kind, and we're pretty excited about what God's leading us to. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. and that's, How can they get more information on that? Yeah, if you go to daniellestrickland.com, it's right on the front page there, infinitum. Okay. It's called a deep dive. And... Um, yeah, we're looking, we're going to cut it off. Uh, we're not going to have very many people there because we want to go deep and um, together. And again, sort of a little bit like a boot camp, except around the person of Jesus and around our spiritual rhythms and hopefully a mixed gathering um, where we're learning to be like Jesus together in a diverse community. So mm -hmm. I'm excited. Yeah, it sounds very fascinating. I will include it in the show notes for people to be able to get a hold of you and click there and find out all about Danielle and about Brave Global, about Women Speakers Collective, about Infinitum, 
<laughs> all the things. Yeah. Uh, you. you know, I just, I feel, I think I said this at the beginning, I feel very honored that you took time today to do this. And um, just even to watch your journey, even from kind of the sidelines, is empowering to me. And, you know, taking that step. And I know that many, many others feel the same way. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for, for saying here. so. Yeah, thanks for having me. Keep living a courageous life. I love it. I want to thank Danielle for joining me on the podcast today. I feel literally like I am on cloud nine. I feel like there has been a fire lit under me to move forward in the things that, that I know I need to be doing. And I hope that you feel the exact same way that you've taken away something, even if it's one thing in particular that you can implement in your own life. And I know that there's something that you probably feel a prodding to do and to move forward, whether it's in advocacy or social justice, whether it's in teaching or in business, or whether you're raising kids and you need to lean into that just a little bit more. Friend, I just want to encourage you that you can do this, that you are made for the exact thing you are doing. And as we take a break over the summer, I want to encourage you just to stay connected with me over on Instagram at, at the dot couragecast and let's continue the conversations. I'll be reposting some of the episodes that we had over this past season and I will be letting you know when our very first episode will air for season five. So I'm really, really excited for that. Now to connect with Danielle, I will have all of her information over on the show notes, but you can go to daniellestrickland.com or you can come over to thecouragecast.com and find out all of the information over there. Friends, I love you. Thanks for being here. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.